So this morning we are in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then verse 13. As we're beginning a new sermon series, we finished up the ABCs of Christianity sermon series for now. I hope to go back to that right after Pentecost next year. But we're going to begin a new series today, Lessons from King David. We've been looking at his life in our recent Bible reading plan uh, scriptures, and I would encourage you to go back to 1 Samuel 16 all the way through uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, and we'll be looking at his life. Um, It's not just preachers or Sunday school teachers. All of us are drawn to David for a variety of reasons. I, I know in our pop culture of today, we would be drawn to David just because Scripture's clear. If you go to 1 Samuel 16, 18, it says that he basically was a good-looking guitar player, right? I grew up in the 70s. I had my Tiger Beat magazines with Leif Garrett and Sean Cassidy and Peter Frampton, right? Anybody remember those? So we're drawn to that handsome guitar player, that, that musician, maybe, maybe that's why people would be turned to him because of that, his appearance. But it also says in that same scripture in 1 Samuel 16 that he was a man of valor and war. And sometimes, sometimes we can be drawn to success or to power, uh, to people who get things done. Plus also, it says just the way he spoke. And if you, you even go to what he says to, to Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 45, says, you come at me with sword, spear, and a javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He said that to a giant. So we, just somebody who can speak with such powers why we're drawn to him. But ultimately, the ultimate attraction And really, we see this in so many of the men and women of Scripture that we look to, that we're we're drawn to. Uh, The ultimate thing in that passage in 1 Samuel 16 is God was with him. We just, we love people where we can can see the Spirit of God in them, where we can see that they walk with the Lord. And so we're we're drawn to David for that reason. Can, Can I also say maybe we're drawn to him because he's like us? We're drawn to that because we look at his life and he struggles. And we all know struggle. Uh, he struggles in, 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 in failure. You see that here. That's why Nathan's telling this story and calling him out. David has wrestled with lust and adultery. Da- David has wrestled even with setting a man up to be murdered, to die, so he can get what he wants. He struggles with sin. He also struggles with his kids. I mean, you look at Absalom's story. That's a tough story. You watch Solomon who rightly prays for wisdom, and yet you know how he slowly fades away. He struggles in his parenting. Anybody else struggle with their parenting? And then you look at his life in terms of brokenness and grief. You read the Psalms. You watch his life story and the fear that can grip him, the hurt that he has, not just for, for the loss of Jonathan, but even for Saul. Just go back to 2 Samuel 1 and see his deep grief there. Or the grief that he has over the loss of the child that happens because of his adultery that, that Nathan's calling him out about. And, his, and, and the other times that he's broken. 
But also then we're going to see as we finish today, he doesn't stay in that grief. He allows God to minister to him and he pushes through and presses through that grief and allows God to bring him not only comfort, but cleansing. He struggles with people all around him, not just the pursuit of Saul, but trusted advisors and and friends routinely let him down. We connect with David because in a lot of ways he's like us. But then also maybe we come to him too because in some ways he's not like us, right? I mean, he faced down a giant. He didn't take the king's armor or sword. Basically five smooth stones and he faces down a giant. And we look up to that. And then also his character. He's had this horrible failure in his life but there are times in his life where you just see, you see his character rise. You see his character on display. That opportunity he had to kill the Lord's anointed, to kill Saul in that cave, and yet he said no. He could have done it, but he said no. The temptation that comes to all of us, as Jesus has said, when it comes to, to killing and to lust, as he preached about in the Sermon on the Mount we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, we can kill with the word and in our hearts all the time. And David doesn't take that opportunity, even for somebody who's pursuing him, because, as we'll see next week, he rightly fears the Lord. And you see it in his heart. First Samuel 13, 14, that verse that we're all familiar with, he's somebody after God's own heart. And then also, I, I just love, if, I encourage you to go back to the story of Mephibosheth. Uh, the fact that David remembers him. Look, in this time, and sadly, even in today's political climate, if you take over one regime, you don't let anybody else live from that, from that royal family. You just wipe them all out because they could rise up and come back to get you. And yet David offers grace and mercy. Bring Mephibosheth to my table. There's so much about David's life that we celebrate. And today we're going to look at a few other things. One is just, and we've talked about this before, but we need to walk through this today to get to the next point. But one of the great things to highlight about his life is that he can receive correction. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's no defensiveness or excuses here in David. Now think about that. He's a king and yet admits immediately He's called out in verse 7, and immediately, here we have it in ch chapter 13, no defensiveness, and look, we all know we're there. When we mess up, I'm not talking about mistakes, I'm talking about sins. We can make all kinds of excuses to God, to ourselves, and to others. And David says here, he owns it, I have sinned. And he's a king. And not only that, if you read Acts 2 well, he's a prophet. Here's Nathan prophesying, Nathan a prophet, saying a word of truth to David, and David himself is a prophet. You read the Psalms and the prophecies there. Acts 2 claims him as a prophet. Have you ever, have you ever watched two doctors battle over a diagnosis or, or a, a treatment and the fight that can ensue because of that? David could have said, not only am I a king, I have all power, but I'm a prophet. Don't speak your prophecy over me. You get none of that here. It's this confession. It's this owning. It's, it's, yes, I have done this, and him taking this correction. 
By the way, there, there's, a, there's a side road here, a lesson from Nathan for, for us. Can you imagine having to speak that word to David, knowing all these things you know about him? Not only that he has the absolute power as a king, but you remember when David learns of Saul's death and he gets this news from this person who said, yeah, Saul had tried to kill himself and then I came along and he even asked for it. He wanted, you know, he needed help dying and I helped him. David says, kill him because you killed the Lord's anointed. He is a man of violence, so much so of war that that's the reason God won't let him build the temple. He's good at war and you're gonna speak to him a word of truth? 1 Samuel 6, 23, again, he was skilled in battle. He was a warrior. You go over to the next chapter in 1 Samuel 17, he's killed a lion and a bear, basically grabbed one of them by the beard, took a lamb out of its mouth and killed it. You're gonna tell that guy the truth? Forget about Goliath, a lion and a bear. Go tell that guy, and Nathan does. How about you? How about me? Now again, the key to that is it's the Lord who sent Nathan. We gotta be very careful about that, all right? We gotta be very careful about that, that it's of the Lord. But if the Lord sends us, you go. If the Lord gives you a word, you speak the word. Too often I am tempted to eat what I know the Lord has told me to speak. And then, the damage continues because I didn't share a word that should have been spoken and then we just see the damage that continues and that happens too often because none of us want to say a word. Now, you be careful. Don't go home. Don't go home and tell your friend or wives, tell your husband, the Lord told me to tell you no more golf this week or whatever that is. You make sure it's a word from the Lord. You make sure, as we looked at Matthew 5 through 7 recently, doesn't mean we can never judge, but, but Jesus is really clear, as we said recently, take that huge beam out of your eye before you even talk about the speck of a brother or a sister, okay? And also, Paul even warns the church, you make sure before you correct somebody, that doesn't cause you to stumble or, or put you into temptation. So there's a lot of things we need to be careful about, but if God gives us a word Speak a word. Nathan gives us a wonderful model here. As fearful as he might have been to do that, he said what the Lord told him to say. And not only, not only do we see here that, that David takes the correction, but then David confesses. He confesses and, and, and owns that, yes, I have done that. Listen, how in the world can you be blind about something as wild as setting somebody else up to die. And maybe David wasn't completely blind in that. He knew what he was doing, but I can get away with it. I'm king, or I can just manipulate. We, we can all be blind to things. And I say that, I'm gonna go back to the 1970s one more time. What were my parents thinking dressing me like they dressed me in the 1970s? We were over at their home last night, uh, having dinner with them, socially distanced, masks, all that stuff, being real careful. But just some of the pictures of me as a child in the 70s. And look, I looked into it today. The statute of limitations has run out. I can't sue them. I can't bring them up on charges. But it was bad. And the things that they wore, the, the plaid slacks with the bell bottoms and the flowered shirts and the poly 
rayon combinations that could have caught on fire at any moment. How did they not know? How could they not see? But somehow David is just still walking around for a long season with adultery and murder on him. And he doesn't confess. But here, finally, when there is a word of, con- con- of correction, David owns it. He sees his sin. Maybe the greatest parable about that is what Jesus talked about in Luke 15 with the older brother. The older brother who's mad at the younger brother, the prodigal son, the one who left home, went outside with all that kind of wild living, and then when the father holds a a party, a return party for him, for his son who's been found, what does the older son do? He goes outside the party. The father has to go to him, and basically the older son, now get this, understand the context, the older son who's standing outside the party is yelling about the younger son who's inside. The one who's physically outside can't see that he's on the outside, committing just as an egregious of a sin, embarrassing his father, not being a part of that uh, reunion. He's on the outs, and he can't see that he's on the outs. It's an important word for us to be mindful of that, to look at our lives, to look at our attitudes, to watch our words and say, is there any place in my life where where I need to see, where I need God and his word to to shine a light and say, have you missed this? How how is this in your life? Because listen, uh, uh, social sciences, psychologists will tell us we all struggle with the, what they call the illusory superiority issue. Researchers have found in polling all kinds of high school students, when they ask, how do you relate to other students? None of them rate themselves below average. And this is a study that had a million high school kids. None of them related themselves as below average. But what was interesting was 60% of the students believed that they somehow crammed into the top 10%, and 25% of students who responded said they were in the top 1%. And you say, well, that's students. Well, let's go to college professors. Now, they at least get a little bit more honest because 2%, instead of zero, 2% put themselves as below average. But when you get to the top 1%, again, it's the same number. 25% of of college professors who were surveyed said, oh, I'm definitely in the top 1% of how well I relate to students. We always, sadly, Think less of others and more of ourselves. Jonathan Edwards, a wonderful uh, preacher. Many of you have read some of his sermons. He was presiding over a massive prayer meeting of 800 men. And some of you will be remembering, if you have watched or listened to Hamilton, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, that fiery preacher, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is actually Aaron Burr's grandfather that that play references. Uh, he's, he's there in a prayer meeting of 800 men, and he gets a note that a woman wants him to pray for her husband. And in, the, in her note, she has described her husband as prideful and difficult. So Edwards reads this note and then wonders, I'm going to take it to the men to pray, like she said, but with this many men here, maybe it's one of these men. And so he called out to the 800 men, here's the note, this 
This woman is asking for prayer for a man who is, who is prideful and difficult. Could that be any of you? And 300 men raised their hands. Open to correction, to somebody pointing out in their lives, could that be you? So anytime we encounter the scriptures, anytime we see these stories, especially of somebody like David who was, who was blind to what was going on in his life, it's important for us to say, Lord, show me. Show me. And, it's, and, and that's why it's critical, too, that we go to the Word. During their last Super Bowl victory parade, the New York Giants were uh, you know, going through the streets and there were reporters there. And I remember seeing a scene of one of the reporters interviewing the fans uh, there for the ticker tape parade. And they were saying, all right, now, what's your best moment from this year's uh, 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 New York Giants memory? And then I remember they were also saying, who's your favorite player on the team? And different people would say different ones. I'll go ahead and say it as a Mississippi State fan. Several people said Eli Manning. But then she asked another person, who's your favorite player on the team? Mark Sanchez. Now, Mark Sanchez was a quarterback. He was a quarterback that played in New York, but he played for the New York Jets. No idea, no clue that, that Mark was not on the team. Y'all, it's critical for us to know the word, to, 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 to be in the word. We don't have enough Nathans. We just don't. And so we need to be in the word so that we can, we can hear and see for ourselves that creation. That way, that way there will be, as it is always with the Lord, there will be grace attached with that truth, right? When Jesus came, John 1.14 says he came full of grace and truth. So it won't just be all truth. There will be some grace because we've got too many voices that are all truth and no grace but also at least there will be truth. It's why, as well, we, we really ask of you uh, to be in a Sunday school, to be in a small group, to really pray about and, and make yourself find those one or two Christian friends, maybe to be in a covenant group or a, a band meeting, so you can hear truth, but also, as we'll close today, so you can hear grace. Uh, God sent Nathan to David and David owned it. We don't just get correction, we get his confession. He, he was blind or at least he wasn't dealing with his sin, but once he heard that correction, he acted on it and confessed to the Lord, I have sinned. Verse 13, I have sinned uh, before the Lord. And I love that it even moves further than that. You've got this confrontation and correction and confession, but the, the last thing is, we see the care of God, and we, and we see the, the forgiveness of God, and we see the new, the new start in David's life. Because he allows this word, and because he allows the Lord to do this new thing in his life, you don't have a whole lot of points of failure in David's life. He was still human, but you don't have a lot of egregious sins as many in his life after this, because he's allowed for God to come, he's, he's opened his life up by saying, you're right, here it is. Forgive me. And you remember that famous Psalm, Psalm 51, where he prays to God to forgive him for this very sin and for this very moment. And God comes and does a work. Listen, when we hide from sin, 
We won't own that. We won't be open to other people. That's how the devil keeps us stuck. That's when we'll be paralyzed in our walk with God. It will stifle the vibrancy of our lives with God and with others when we won't receive truth and step out and say, God, here it is, and then let God do a work, a cleansing work, but also an encouraging work. Many of us are very familiar with Max Lucado. Some of us call him America's pastor because he's He's so famous for his books and also for his preaching. But in a recent book he wrote maybe five years ago entitled Grace, he tells a truth that happened in his life. He, he talks about struggling with alcohol as a, as a young teenager, but finally at the age of 21 he kind of swore it off and said, I won't go back to that anymore. He knew he had some concerns even in his family's history, and so he knew he just... He couldn't play with that temptation. He couldn't be a part of that. Age 21, it was gone. But then later in his ministry and in recent years, he thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm a tour. I'm not going to let this get the best of me. I can be careful with this. It won't be a master to me, right? Just in moderation, I'll be fine. And so he began to, and I'm going to read his words, so I, I say this as clearly and as, and, and as precisely as he does. Uh, he began to be what he called a beer fan again. A once in a while, then once a week, then once a day, beer fan. Now here's his struggle. This is Max Lucado, in many ways America's pastor. Here are the words from his book, Grace. Now, of course, I kept this preference to myself. No beer at home lest my daughters think less of me. No beer in public, who knows who might, who might see me. None at home, none in public, which leaves one option. Convenient store parking lots. I was that guy in the car, drinking out of a brown paper bag. Max Lucado. Here are the conviction of the Lord, though. And he actually took it to, in their, in their governmental system at church, took it to a board of elders. And he confessed, hey, this is in my life. There's nothing crazy in my life. I'm not controlled by this, but here's where I've got. I am sitting in convenience store parking lots every day now with my one beer. Huh? And in some ways, it was becoming a master to himself. And here is America's pastor confessing to his board about one beer a day. And, it's, and I, love, I love the response, and I want to share it to you from uh, the leader of that, uh, of that board. Here's what, here's what Max Lucado says. Jim Potts, a dear silver-haired saint, reached across the table, reached across the table and put his hand on my shoulder, and he said something like this. What you did, Max, was wrong. But what you're doing tonight is right. God's Love is great enough to cover any sin. Max, trust his grace. It's not just hear a word of confession and then make a correction and then make your confession, but it's this receiving of grace. It's a grace that, that Max dearly needed uh, to hear. Um, you need a word of grace today, a word of forgiveness. This is egregious 
horrific sin in David's life. And it's sin that he hadn't dealt with in a while. And nobody would say anything to him. But it's just like God not to leave us there. Nathan, I need you to go. And I need you to speak a word to David. He needs to wrestle and deal with this because I want him back. To do the things I need him to do, he needs to be cleansed and redeemed. He also needs a vibrant walk with me. Is there anything getting in your way that you need to, not just, okay, I hear the correction. I know, I know that's not of the Lord. But I not only need, as Linda so beautifully prayed today, not only need to make my confession, so yes, I'll be forgiven, but I also just need the encouragement of God. That's what is at the root of this. The root of, of all of this is reconciliation. Redemption, yes, but also reconciliation to bring us back. David would later write but also sing in Psalm 32. How blessed is, is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Hear correction, yes. Own that and, and move to her confession, yes. Just to receive that gift of forgiveness and to know, as David would write in Psalm 51 about this moment in his life, that God not only wants to create in you a clean heart, but he wants to renew a right spirit within you. He doesn't want his presence to be cast away, but to walk with you. But if we don't make our confession, if we won't hear correction, then we won't have that kind of life with God, that kind of vibrancy with God. We're going to be looking at so many things that David models for us, things that he does well, some, some areas of temptation and struggle in his life uh, too. So I hope you'll stay with us throughout this series. But, but for today, how is it you and I need to hear uh, this word and to respond to it? Let's pray about that. Lord, we do pray for strength as, as Nathan did. We pray for strength and discernment to know what we need to say. That it would be your words, not our words. It would be your attitudes, not, your attitude, not ours. That, it, that, that they would be pure words. That they would be out of a heart of, of, of humility. But help us, help us to, to always be seeking how, how we are to be channels of your grace. But also when you want us to say a word. Father, I also pray as we look at David's life that you would help us to hear what we need to hear, to be faithful, to be students of your word so we know what your word says because we can, we can put off dealing with sin. Sometimes we can even be blind to our own sin. Help us to be in your word so we would, we would see your correction, but also help us to be open to anyone who would speak into our life. Give us your wisdom and discernment too to know when those voices, and we hear that throughout Scripture, those voices aren't from you. To take every thought captive, every word captive. But Father, it is our prayer too that we'd hear what we need to, to hear, to see what we need to see. But also I pray for any of us, and, and most of us wrestle in, in different ways with different sins and different temptations. I pray that we would also know the, your grace that you gave to David who had acted out in horrible ways and yet you created in him a new heart. You gave him a right spirit. You didn't cast him away. Father, I pray that over everyone who is praying with me right now. 
that they would know the sweetness and the faithfulness of your forgiving love, your mercy anew, that you would reconcile us, that we would sense and know, that we would have that full assurance of faith that we are yours. And I thank you for that gift. Bless now and continue to bless our response to this, your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.